You're listening to the Sticks in the Six podcast. Here are your calls. Andrew Forbes, Peter Barrichini, and Alex Hopton. Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode 66 of Sticks in the Six. It's the first time, guys, in, uh, what, three weeks now that we've been back, and uh, long time coming, long time coming for that 66 sticks in the six. I know we, we talked about, about it on episode 60. I think it was <laughs> Alex, uh, about how tough it would it would be to, to say it. Now I'm, all I'm doing is throwing the S's out there. So. <laughs> I was going to say you did pretty well pronouncing that on the first try. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah, was, that was impressive. The second time I around, stumbled I stumbled right stumbled. out of the gate. Yeah. But uh, 66 of six in the six. <laughs> <laughs> oh boys it's uh it's fantastic to be back uh like yes. we said three weeks off you know some time for the family during the holidays mm-hmm. uh here in ontario i mean time to lock down i guess again but Jesus. that's 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 another story for another time <laughs> um anyways peter let's start over you how you doing oh you know you know i'm doing a lot of things right now you know i've got to going out can't well yeah, we all know the situation right now. I'm just trying to like try and damper the mood a bit, <laughs> liven it up. But yeah, you know, lockdowns can't do much. Um, wish we could, but hey, you know, yeah. <laughs> how are how are you guys doing? It's been a while. We got a little bit of that uh, extended three week break. You know. Yeah, yeah. How's no, everyone doing? Alex, Alex, uh, you're back home, are you? Yes, sir. I'm. Uh... I was originally supposed to be back in Niagara this week because I was supposed to be starting my internship with uh, Giant FM and uh, Country 89 down there in Welland. But naturally, with, with in, in light of developing news, uh, they're starting me remotely. So figure might as well come home, spend some time with the family, make some money during the day and, you know, do this remote work as it comes along. Um, I actually just worked my last shift today at a uh, at uh, six ten CKTV down there in St. Catharines, producing morning shows on the weekend. Uh, uh, it was a bit of a bit of a sad day in that sense. I had a, I had the opportunity to work with a lot of great hosts, uh, um, sit in and produce some great shows, including the Niagara Sports Report, which uh, got to sit in and listen to an interview with Josh Hosang a couple couple months ago. Um, also got to, got to produce an amazing show that was it's the only indigenous hosted radio show in Canada. It's called one dish, one mic. And I got to know those hosts very well. And uh, obviously they're, uh, they're, they're talking about a heavy topic. So I got to inform myself a lot on, uh, on, on uh, sort of that realm there. And uh, yeah, so I worked my last shift there today. It was uh, pretty sad, but it was my first, first gig in the industry. And I was, I'm, I'm very fortunate to have spent the last year working there. So uh, yeah, that's pretty much where I'm at today. Well, lots, yeah, lots going on, and congratulations on uh, on you know ending ending one story and, and kind of starting the next one, and you know we look forward to hearing stories from your new gig uh, as as you get into it. But yeah, boys, it's been uh, it's been a crazy three weeks. Uh, obviously, anybody listening from Ontario knows what's going on. Um, it's uh, you know it's it's 2022, and we're it's we're back in, we're back in 2020. All of a sudden, it's it's almost like it's funny because. We took these three weeks off and and I got to thinking like how, you know, we're going to jump back on the air with each other again. And I mean, this is kind of how it all started with Peter and I it was like, hey, mm-hmm. there's a lockdown. Let's let's start a podcast. And and here we are, what, a year, year and a half later. And 
You're in a, you're in <laughs> there's a, a lost yeah. full circle, baby. There's a lockdown. Full circle. Here we are basically starting off uh, part two of season two. So um, there was a meme out there and on Twitter, there is something going wrong around about Delta Cron, about a mix of Omicron and Delta. Oh, yeah. And I saw the memes of that. And one of them was uh, Jim from the office and he's got a chart and it's just like the infinity loop. And it said COVID and it just says you are here and it's on the one edge of the loop and it's just going around and around. So like you said, it's coming around full circle. And with us right now with the podcast, it just seems like that as well. I think, I think you're talking about my new tattoo. I'm going to get an infinity symbol on my neck just with COVID written in the middle of it. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> oh yeah. No better way to, cause you, there's nothing you want to do more than remember this occasion <laughs> to the point where it's on your body forever. Eh? Oh yeah. Jesus. Oh, years, been... <laughs> years later when we've moved past this, this hellscape we've been through from the past two years and you'll just look at your neck and be like, Oh yeah, I remember those. The, days. Be- the best way to identify me, uh, is, is the, uh, the infinity tattoo. The only person who remembered COVID, um, the way, the way that I did, but anyways, oh, yeah, I know it's been, it's been a wild, uh, wild three weeks, uh, mm-hmm. for my little man, his second Christmas. I think he was a little bit more in tune with everything. We, we had a few gifts ready for him to go, uh, as soon as he came down the stairs. And I mean, it's, it's crazy. Cause the, the excitement on his face was like something that, you know, you don't, you don't experience as a kid, right? Like, you know, you have that excitement, but you don't get this to kind of play second fiddle to it. Mm-hmm. And, uh, that was, that was something that, you know, you, it's, you really can't put into words, but, um, yeah, it's, it's been wild, but, uh, I mean, the hockey world's been wild too. And, and we haven't talked a lot about anything in the last little bit, aside from what we've been doing for the hockey writers. And, uh, you know, with that, I think uh, the Leafs have only played a couple games since our last <laughs> last time we talked. But hell, why not? Why not get right into Leaf talk here? Because you know that's that's what we're all about. And uh, yeah, um, a lot has happened in the three games that they've played. A lot has happened. <laughs> um, I, I do want to talk right off the hop. Like we're coming off another four-one loss here. Um, Peter, uh, Alex, you both know the Twitterverse can be very cruel to Leaf fans at times. And uh, 4-1 seems to be the new 1967 where it's the, uh, it's the comeback to everything. So, so, Peter, I don't know if you want to take this one away first with the game and, and kind of the outcome. But, uh, yeah, Colorado end up losing 5-4 in, in overtime. Um, some great plays from Nick Ritchie, some okay plays from Nick Ritchie, and then a questionable – penalty late in the game by nick ritchie um yeah it, it, that's kind of seemed like the trifecta right there and you know what i was happy when he scored because you know getting placed on waivers clearing nobody picking him up staying on the roster in the taxi squad and then coming in and then he scores great it, everything's going right for him and a week or the last few days where it really hasn't and hopefully that would have boosted his confidence and then afterwards it just everything started to go downhill not just for him but for the full team as well it seemed like after that second period after Colorado got some momentum with that kill McCargill um it, it, when the third period started and Colorado came out flying um two shots in the first 10 minutes for the Maple Leafs compared to Colorado 15 you knew it was going to get ugly and it, they just didn't have it in the tank. They, they, there was no gas. There was no energy. They just seemed depleted after, you know, back and forth affair in the first 40 minutes. And then all of a sudden, that's the result. They were lucky to get one point 
but at the same time, um, I could go into length about how, you know, that shouldn't have happened. You know, you got to protect those four, one leads and everything like that. But at the same time, given how they've only played two games previously before that extended break players coming off COVID, I mean, reserve the judgment and the critique for now. It's only one game compared to what's their record since November, like 22 and four, 22 and six or something like that. I mean, let's take the positives for what they are because, yeah, disappointing. They shouldn't have had it or they shouldn't have gotten the loss, but the fact that they still got one point out of it is, you know, saving grace kind of thing. Alex, you wrote the takeaways piece for this uh, this game, and, and the Leafs coming off a 6 nothing win on New Year's Day against the Ottawa Senators, a 4-2 win over the, Auto, or the uh, Edmonton Oilers on the 5th. Two games postpone, postponed only to play Colorado. And, I mean, they get away with a point, but it was, it was not a pretty point. So what did, what did you take away from this game? Um, you know, I, I was talking about this on the Maple Leafs Lounge this morning, and I know that there are some people out there where if they hear this, they'll, they'll call me out for having a loser mentality. But truth be told, I wasn't as salty about the fact that they choked away the lead last night because I feel like a lot of the times that that's happened in the past, um, it's been a matter of the Leafs do really well for the first 20 or 40 minutes, and then they take their foot off the gas, let the other team claw back into the game and end up losing it. I think a perfect example of that was the game against Ottawa where they blew the, what was it, a 5-1 lead and they lost 6-5 in overtime Mm -hmm. last year. I think that's a perfect example of that. But the difference with last night or whatever you want to call it, Saturday night's game against Colorado is the Leafs were never really in control that game. They got off to that early lead because they were benefiting off of Darcy Kemper's shaky start. But then you look at, um, you look at the start of that game. I think Colorado was out shooting him like seven, nothing to start the game or something like that. And then the Leafs got a couple of quick goals and, uh, it was just one of those things, like Peter said, where Colorado kept pushing and pushing and pushing. You just knew that they were going to cave in the ceiling at some point um, because they were the better team throughout most of the game. I mean, the Leafs got off to that. They, the Leafs got off to that early start. Jack Campbell kept them in it. I mean, you can look at the fact that he let in five goals and base his entire effort on the score sheet and just be like, yeah, well, so five goals, whatever. That's probably a weak game for him. But at the same time, I think if Campbell wasn't in net there, the Leafs, the final score may have looked a little more similar to the last time the Leafs and the Avalanche played where it was an 8-3 final. So um, I think just because of that alone, I don't really feel as salty. And I feel like if the Leafs went out there and lost last night 6-2 or whatever it was, something like that, 6-2, 7-1, I feel honestly like people would probably be a lot less salty. I think it's just because of the fact that it's tied to this stupid 4-1 narrative that it makes it seem a lot worse than it is. But realistically, the Leafs got a point against a really good team. And like Peter said, like 24-2 and in their last 26 games, I think. So I'm not, I'm not too upset about the game. Yeah, I was going to say, like, you kind of hit the nail on the head there. I, I mean, they outplayed them the entire game. Colorado played Toronto the entire game. Um, it, it's not very telling in the first period. The shots were 12-10, but I believe it was 7 nothing at one point in the first period, and, and the Leafs happened to score on their first shot on goal. And to that point, they only had three shot attempts uh, on, on Colorado. And it, it just, it was, they didn't look right from the get-go. For them to steal a point the way they did, I mean, yeah, they were up 4-1, but you look at the third period, 19-5 to in, in shots in the third period. They had an opportunity in overtime to, to, to end it, and they, they didn't, you know, it's, it's kind of, you know, telling of where this team is at. They're not ready 
to go all the way. They are not ready to go all the way. They're still missing one or two pieces, but they had, you know, a strong appoint, uh, opponent in, in Colorado. They were able to, you know, push past it in the first couple periods. And, you know, like you said, it just became too much in that third period that, you know, Toronto couldn't get it done. And they took some, you know, penalties that maybe they should not have taken. I, I mean, I think about the, the, the Nick Ritchie interference on, on Tyson Yost. That was, I mean, it was a stupid play. Uh, and, and then obviously TJ Brody gets called for embellishment against Nazem Kadri and, you know, we know how Nas is and we've seen him here in Toronto for years. And um, now he's just kind of coming back to, to bite the Leafs, but all in all, I mean, you, you can't take anything away from what Campbell did in that game. I, I, you know, you, you talk about the glove save in the third period where he dove across and made that save the, the, the picture of Nazem Kadri standing in the background, watching him make mm-hmm. that save is just yeah. like, it's, it's one of the poetic. greatest, it, it is very poetic. It's one, it's like one of those Polaroid moments where like, you captured it and it was perfect. It was just telling of the moment. Um, but I mean, all in all, I think that this team still needs to figure out a few spots. I, I talked about a little bit on, um, I think it was uh, prospects corner. I talked with uh, Peter there uh, about how the Leafs, you know, they have three spots that can kind of be filled on that back end with, with hall uh, Dermott and uh, Muzzin likely not going to be there long-term. Um, those are three spots that you're going to have to fill. And yeah, you have Lilligren, but beyond that, I mean, you want to, you want to find a guy that's going to fit into that, that top four. And I think that's where they're still missing a piece, but all in all, I mean, the Leafs should be happy with taking away a point and, um, you know, moving on past that, like, it's just a matter of getting into that, that mentality of, of game day, you know, game day routine when they, when they do have games, because we have to remember that this is going to be hard for the teams that are constantly getting postponed. Um, you know, the Leafs have a lot of games right now that are scheduled in Canada as well. And with, with the NHL not wanting to have games in Canada with obviously, you know, the stadium's empty, that's, that's causing a lot of issues for the scheduling. And it, it, these athletes are characters of of habit. Uh, when they, when they don't have that routine that they normally go through on a game day, it changes everything. So the unknown right now is kind of affecting this team as well. And we have to remember that we have to put that into perspective as well. When we talk about, you know, how they're going to maintain their point percentage for the remainder of the season and be a playoff team. Um, but I mean, beyond that guys, like the, the three games in the new year, we've had an opportunity to see Ilya Mikheyev come back from, from yet another injury. Um, you know, this is a guy in the off season. We were talking about the possibility of trading him, um, I know, uh, Alex, you've been a huge advocate for him on Twitter, huge, huge Ilya guy. Um, but four, four games played, he's got three goals and an assist. So four points, he's, he's averaging a point per game. He seems to be back to that, that Mikheyev we saw in his rookie season where, you know, he had the speed he had, you know, he had, it almost looks like he has better hands than he had in the beginning. And I'm going to throw it to you, Alex, right away, because this is a guy that we've been waiting for to come back, see where he's at, see where these injuries have taken him, see if he's a worthy candidate to be in this lineup. And obviously, you know, Sheldon Keefe believes that he is a piece that they need going forward. Yeah. I mean, you look at what he did last year and I know that the narrative around him um, was obviously that he couldn't finish. He was snake bitten for, for most of the season and uh, just generally didn't have the hands that he did. From his first, excuse me, from his first, uh, from his rookie season there. Yet, 
I think the one thing that people forget is he was still super valuable, valuable to the team, despite having that lack of offense. I mean, you saw the video of him out skating Connor McDavid, like his, his defensive game and his speed make him worth a roster spot alone. So the fact that he's starting to get this offensive game back is huge. And I don't think anyone's expecting McKayev to come out and be like a 50, 60 point guy or something. If he can sit and sit on the third line and get 30 to 40 points, maybe 15 goals or something like that. I think the Leafs are pretty much getting exactly what they would have wanted out of McKayev because he's just such a valuable two way forward. He's, he's resilient and he's just the perfect piece. If he can keep this offense that he's sort of found in the new year, if he can keep this offense that I truly believe the Leafs have one of one of, if not the best third lines in the entire league. If you've got McKay of David Kampf and Andre Kasha Andre Kasha, my apologies on the third line. I mean, we've seen what Kampf and Kasha have been able to do together you throw Mikheyev on there with his newfound goal scoring ability, his speed and his defensive awareness. I mean, that's going to be a third line. That's super hard to contain. I know that Mikheyev has been getting some looks in the top six with the, with injuries and the COVID protocol taken into account and all that. Um, And I think he's based on what I've seen this year. Anyways, you can obviously make an argument to put him in the top six as filler, but when this team is fully healthy, Having him on that third line with Kampf and Kasha, I think is going to give them an absolutely ridiculous third line for other teams to handle. And, uh, you know, he is looking a lot better this year. I mean, I think the one moment for me that really sealed the deal was the fact that he scored on the breakaway against Edmonton. I mean, how many times do we see Ilya Mikheyev get a shorthanded breakaway in 2021 and put it right into the goalie's pads? Reminiscent right? of Michael like, Grabner. Oh my God. Like don't, oh. don't even bring up Michael Grabner. Can you believe that Carter Verhage was one of five players that Lou traded for Michael Grabner? Like, uh, anyways, I could, we, we, you get me talking about that and this pod's going to go for three hours. So anyways. Um, yeah. But overall, Mikheyev is, he, he's impressed so far this year. And I know four games is a small sample size, but I'm very pleased with what I've seen from him compared to last year. And I, I hope, hopefully it's just the fact that he's, had a good amount of time to recover from that wrist injury. Cause I do think that played a part last season. Peter, it, I mean, four games, it is a small sample size, but one of the biggest things for him this off season, when he did request the trade was that he wanted more playing time. He wanted to be a valuable piece to this team. Now, third line. Yes, but we're seeing him average 16 minutes, just over 16 minutes over the first four games that he's played for the team this year. In the past two seasons, he was at 15-35 and 14-13, respectively. 16 minutes, obviously, it it might not continue to be that way. And on top of that, his shooting percentage is at 17.6. His career shooting percentage is 8.1. Is this something – like, obviously, these numbers aren't something that he's going to maintain throughout the year, but is – is it he's somebody that maybe can capitalize on this opportunity? He's getting second power play minute or second uh, power play minutes. Um, you know, is he a guy that can maybe take advantage of this and become that valuable piece that he wanted to be for the Toronto Maple Leafs? Oh, absolutely. Um, you you mentioned his numbers and the shooting percentage specifically. We don't know if that's going to be sustainable or not, but. You know, if he would have capitalized on his opportunities last season, he would have surpassed the 8.2 that he had um, before the wrist laceration, given how many breakaways and how many scoring chances he had shorthanded alone. Um, the fact that, you know, I, I can't, uh, um, can't remember what I think it was against the Edmonton Oilers where he had seven shots on goal. Um, might need to backtrack and figure that out and re you know 
um, recheck everything in the numbers. But yeah, you, you mentioned the added time at five on five or even strength where he's earning 16.5, but the power play time is more telling than anything. We obviously know, knew that he was going to be a special factor on the penalty kill, but looking at his power play time, in his first season, he averaged per game five seconds of power play time. Total was three on three, obviously coming on at the end of the shift when the first two units are done, when everything's getting back to five on five, he's taking the last bit. Previously before that, in 2021, 7.39, averaging nine seconds, again, coming off coming on the end of uh, the end of the shifts end of the power play this year alone 139 per game you he he was he wanted you know more ice time wanted to be more valuable and be more part of the team the fact that he stuck him on second power play unit and is looking pretty good in that factor i know alex at one point you wanted to take pierre angle off and lo and behold Pierre Engvall is not on the power play unit, and now Ilya Mikheyev is thriving with his improved shot, with his improved accuracy, with his improved ability to be a major offensive shooting threat. I think this is going well for him. And, I mean, you look at the contract that he has right now, it's extremely valuable, 1.645. And in already averaging a point per game, again, small sample, but at the same time, this is what they expected from him. This is what they wanted. This is why Dubas didn't pull the trigger on a deal and jump at the opportunity and be like, okay, you're not happy. Okay, we're going to trade you. No, he wanted to give him an opportunity to succeed and thrive. And we saw that from the outsets of camp. He looked a little more determined more energetic, more enthusiastic, and he was going to get that opportunity before the broken thumb. And now he's picked up where he left off. And I'm, I, I do hope he stays because he's going to be really important. He's a really strong two-way threat for this team. Yeah, no, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think the problem is, and, and we talk about the Twitterverse and we talk about the, the insanity that ensues every time the Leafs do anything. If, if, if a Maple Leaf breathes, somebody's reporting it on Twitter. But all of a sudden now we've got a guy who's, yeah, through four games he has four points. And the talk is that the Leafs aren't going to be able to afford him. And, boy, I mean, <laughs> I don't know. Like Either one of you guys can take this away because, for me, the conversation starts with Jack Campbell. We have to see what he gets. We have to see how much he's going to make. We have to see if the Leafs even sign him. Beyond that, I think Mikheyev is your secondary piece that you need to you need to look at bringing back. But a lot of the conversation right now is that Leafs are going to sign Campbell. Mikheyev walks at the end of this year. Is that a possibility? I think it's I, a possibility, but I don't think it's something that Dubas is going to really let happen unless there's no other way out. Because, like you said, you know, I, I feel like he would wouldn't have gone to the effort to keep him in Toronto. And, you know, if, if Dubas didn't have plans for McKay in Toronto, I truly don't think that he would have gone to the effort to keep him after he requested a trade. Cause if you've got a guy who's got one year left on his deal and he doesn't want to be in Toronto and he's only been in the, he's only been in the organization for one, for basically a season and a half at this point, nine times out of 10, whoever that player is at that point, if they don't want to be in Toronto, yeah, just trade him. 
But the fact that Dubas, you know, Mikheyev, it's not like he, he's a guy that's been with the organization for a super long time and he means a lot. And that's why Dubas is trying to keep him. He's, he was a KHL free agent signing from two years ago. So the fact that Dubas wants to keep him, I think, sheds light and speaks volumes about how much he wants to have him in Toronto and how much he, like, he, he sees potential for him to do something for this team. So I think the only way that the Leafs truly lose McKayev is if he outright prices himself out of Toronto. If he keeps his hot pace up for the rest of the year and he ends up in a position where he wants 4 to $5 million or something along the lines of that, at that point, yeah, I, I don't think um, – I don't think Dubas is going to bring him back. But I think if there's a belief there that you can get him back at a somewhat cheap deal, and I know that, you know, people call him out, all Leaf fans trying to make – talk about how everyone wants to come back on a hometown discount because they don't have the cap space. I know people are going to make comments like that. But at the same time, um, I think there is a possibility just based on – what McKayev's done in Toronto overall, he's, he doesn't have a lot of leverage to ask for a lot of money. And I think he'd have to keep up. Um, he'd have to really, really keep up his pace like this for the rest of the season and finish on all-star level for him to price himself out. So I think as long as he just kind of keeps doing what he's doing and I, I, I think there's, I, I think there's room for the Leafs to hold on to him, but it, it'll be tough to say it. That really all depends on how much he asks for. Cause I know that if Dubas has the option, he's going to want to keep him. Peter, anything you want to add to that? Um, if if there is a, if he gets a contract somewhere in the Alex Kerfoot range, maybe not three point five, but in may in that two point five three range, that's going to be well worth it. And if you try and move on and move Justin Hall, and you somehow move Nick Ritchie, and it's two point five million, even if it's for a seventh round pick. You move those two contracts, it frees up more space for you to try and engage in a contract extension for both McKayev and Campbell. And I mean, McKayev's making 1.6 right now. He goes over to that 2.5 range. I think that's going to be more realistic than anything. And if Jack Campbell, I mean, not, not, not trying to say that he should take a hometown discount, but if he's into that four, four, four or five million range, that's going to look out even better as well. Um, you may still have to move out another contract. Is Pierre Engvall possibly on the way out, given the death forwards that the Maple Leafs have? Um, I mean, don't want to move Alex Kerfoot based on the way that he's playing, but 3.5, it, I mean, he deserves it, but at the same time, you got to move it to try and decide another key player that's really doing work right now. So, you know, a lot of options, a lot of uh, possibilities to work with right now. But to me, if they sign McKayev to just above $2 million, that's going to be very ideal for them. Yeah, I mean, we talk about, we're talking about a lot of contracts here, obviously, with Jack Campbell and, and McKayev and, and moving Hall and what have you. But one of the big reports earlier in the season, we had fans in the seats and we were talking about, um, you know, in, in four to five years, the the – essentially the debt that the players have, have recurred from, from COVID would be paid off with owners and we'd see a cap increase of, you know, a few million um, really making it a better situation cap wise for the Maple Leafs. Now we're kind of back, we're backtracking. No, nobody in the seats, um, no fans. Uh, my wife bought me tickets for, for Christmas and those got refunded. Um, so um, are we, in a situation where the Leafs have to really focus on the cap again, or are we 
I, I don't know. I like the way I'm thinking about it is that maybe they get, they have to continue to move the way that they're moving because you want to keep the assets that you have, but you have to understand that right now with no, no butts in the seats that that deficit is just going to continue to increase. And now we're talking about maybe not four years of, of repayment or two years or three years of repayment. We're talking more about five, six, seven years of repayment to these, these owners. Um, that makes it complicated if you're talking about signing a guy like Mikheyev for anything more than two million. And I think, like Alex said, if you're if you, if you see a guy that continues on this torrid pace of seventeen point nine percent shooting, um, you know, playing sixteen minutes, adding in that he, you know he can hit, he can skate, he's one of the fastest guys on the team. Um, he makes defensive plays. You're going to see a guy that does outprice himself out of Toronto and. At that point, and I'm not no no knock on Mikheyev, but at that point, the Leafs do at this point have a have a replacement, in my opinion, in Josh Hosang. Um, and, and and I say that understanding that you know this is a guy who's on you know second or third chance, but is getting an opportunity to to really just enjoy the game again, play again with the Marlies. Uh, somehow the Marlies avoided this whole COVID outbreak that happened throughout the AHL and he's had the opportunity to continue to play and continue to be an opportunistic in his play. And, you know, he does play that physical game. He's a smaller guy, but he plays that physical game. He plays off like his offensive abilities are just through the roof. He's got hands. Um, you know, he's got speed. He plays defensive. Um, you know, would you disagree in the fact that, you know, they could potentially let McKay walk and be okay. I mean, here's the thing. I, I don't know if I necessarily disagree at that point. I think the only part of that argument that I disagree with is I don't think Hosang is Mikheyev's replacement for the sole purpose that Hosang, if he signs or when he signs, is not going to be playing in the bottom six. He doesn't have the defensive game. I think the Leafs have him at a point where they're going to look to sign him to an NHL deal, and when they do that, I think his, his skill set's best suited in the top six. That's where they're going to start him. They're going to give him the opportunity just like they did with Alex Galchenyuk and seeing how, how he's been able to play in the AHL so far this year and how much time they're giving him and how they're really letting him just kind of shape his own identity again and get back to playing how Josh Hosang plays hockey. I think that the results are going to be much more than what they got out of Galchenyuk. And I think that gives them all the more inspiration to play him in the top six. So if he's going to be replacing anyone in the top six, I think it's probably going to be someone like Kerfoot before Mikheyev. Um, having said that, I don't think that you are wrong in saying that Mikheyev could price himself out. Like I, like I said before, um, he keeps keeps up this toward pace and he starts asking for a lot of money. I mean, obviously there's going to be a point where Kyle Dubas won't be able to afford him anymore, but I don't think it'll be because Josh Hosang is in the minors. I think Hosang's an entirely different topic there. And I think if he replaces anyone, like I said, it's more likely to be someone like Kerfoot. Peter, your thoughts on, on the possibility that McKay does walk at the end of this season. Yeah. Um, it's always possible. It always lingers at the back of your head, but at the same time, you know, this is, this is, this is something that Kyle Dubas wanted to happen. He, he brought him in for a reason. He signed him as a free agent. He gave him more of an opportunity. Didn't discredit anything. He, he, he believes in Mikheyev and he believes that he's going to be a factor going forward in terms of the contract. 
I think maybe right now, if you are dubious, maybe you can say, hey, yeah, this is great. And maybe you try and lower the asking price a bit to try and say, because you missed most of this or a good chunk of the season, the first two months, came back, you looked great, but we want to see more and still have that prove me mentality, even though, you know, Mikheyev wants to be paid his worth and his value. And he wasn't happy with the ice time. He's getting it right now, but I think they just want to see a little bit more before they feel like they could overprice him or even think that McCabe is going to be way more than what he's actually worth kind of thing. That's my thing. That's how I look at it. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how it, it'll unfold, but I, I, I would hope that Dubas does everything in his power to try and keep him in the system, no matter what. Here, here's what I'm going to say about the situation is that we're talking about the possibility of maybe given, given that he's missed, you know, 20 games, 25 games this year, we're talking about maybe a 30 to 40 point guy. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, average that out per game. And and you're talking about maybe a 55 point guy in an 82 game season, assuming he stays healthy. Those numbers um, in comparison to a guy like, and I'm not in no way comparing Ilya Mikheyev to William Nylander, but William Nylander put up 61 points in two straight years. And all of a sudden he's a $6.9 million guy. Now, William Nylander has lived up to that contract without a doubt. Anybody who argues that, I mean... <laughs> Okay, I, if you're still making that argument in 2021, I feel like you just shouldn't be watching hockey. Yeah, I'm just like, not, not going to deprive anyone of the game, but you're basically just holding up a sign saying, I don't watch these games. I, I try I not no to engage with those works. people. I try not to engage because I'm like, yeah. you know, I, I, I'll, I'll openly admit that I was a William Nylander, you know, anti-William Nylander yeah. when he signed that contract. I thought it was too much. And, you know, he made, he, he bent me over and shoved it up my hoop because he, he found a way to, to be the top scorer and he's getting it done. And, you know, deservingly so, like he's, he deserves all the credit right now for what he's doing. He, he's playing well. He's skating well. He's, you know, everything the Leafs wanted him to be and everything the Leafs thought he could be. So, again, I'm not comparing Mikheyev to Nylander, but when, if you're talking about a guy who potentially could put up 50 to 55 points in a regular, in a regular season where he plays 82 games and stays healthy – are you talking about a guy who's maybe $3.5 million? And if he's $3.5 million, you're talking about a guy who's far too expensive for the Leafs to hold on to, especially as a third-line guy at this point in time, based on the contracts that they have in their, in their system right now. That's where I'm at. I think he's a guy that you need to get at for under $2 million. If you have him at anywhere over $2 million, I think you're talking about putting yourself in a really risky position moving forward, assuming that we somehow get out of this COVID craziness and you're no longer having taxi squads. You're no longer having that ability to manipulate the cap the way that the Leafs have over the last couple of years. So you are saying McCabe is the new Nylander. No, I'm just joking. Um, <laughs> I think he holds um, out if he stays. <laughs> I mean, I, I do agree with you in the fact that if he does price himself at 3.5, it is going to be difficult because you look at Alexander Kerfer's contract and if they bring in another body, another defenseman, you're looking at possibly moving a contract out and maybe Justin Hall and Nick Ritchie isn't enough. You do have to maybe move an asset in Kerfer. And like I said, even though he's playing well and you'd like to hang on to him, 3.5, even though it's in the top six, is great value. 
but his value is going to be at an all-time high. And if you could get a return, maybe you consider it. But at the same time, he's a key factor right now. He's been one of the best players so far towards the tail end of 2021 and right now at the beginning of 2022. So, yeah, though, I totally I totally agree with you on uh, if Mikheyev kind of prices himself out of that range. It's it's interesting that you bring up Kerfa because he's obviously one of our talking points for this episode. But um, you know, I'll I'll be I'll be the first to admit that when the expansion draft happened this this offseason, I was all for keeping Jared McCann and and sending uh, Kerfoot to Seattle for some Starbucks and some rain. Um, now I'm and sitting grunge. here. Don't forget grunge and grunge. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> now I'm sitting here and I'm gonna I'm, fly in fly into <laughs> Seattle listening to lithium. Anyways, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Everlong Foo Fighters. Oh man. Um now I'm sitting here and I'm I'm looking at a guy who's you know 27 years old. Um maybe one of the more underrated players on the Leafs right now with 24 points in 33 games. Um seems like he's an assist machine, no power play points. And that that to me is what stands out the most is no power play points. Is Kerfoot maybe not getting the respect that he deserves or is he getting, or is he opportunistic in the way that he's playing? And I'll throw it to to Alex first. You know, I feel like every year there's a guy who's just the easiest name to throw into trade proposals. And I feel like this year and last year, Alex Kerfoot has been that guy because especially last season and the year before his offense wasn't really what he was hyped up to be. He's making 3.5 million just overall gave off the vibe of a player that you can move on from and not really be hurt by. I will be the first to admit that I was one of those people. And I will also be the first to admit that he has won me over more than anybody over the past couple of past couple of months. I mean, even dating back to the series against Montreal, he was, he was their most consistent forward, not named William Nylander um, started to play like a little bit of a pest. And, and he obviously had a roller coaster of a summer where his name couldn't be kept out of the expansion draft rumors. And, uh, Obviously, he ended up sticking around in Toronto, and it's looking like – I'm not going to say it's looking like they made a good choice um, explicitly by losing Jared McCann, but it's looking like having kept Alex Kerfoot is proven to be a good decision on its own because, like you said, Forbes, he's got 24 points in 33 games. He has eight points in his last three games, and, you know, I sent a – even look at what he did yesterday. He, you know, he – Matthews is on his uh, Matthews is centering him. He gets promoted to the top line. He immediately scores a goal and puts up two assists and none, none of that comes on the power play. So I think it's very impressive. I actually sent out a tweet last night saying it's, it's like, how has Alexander Kerfoot done more on Matthews wing than Mitch Marner this year, or sorry, how has he done more on Matthews wing in one period than Marner has all season. And a lot of people got mad at me for that and said, Oh, what are you talking about? Marner's done. It's, you know, and I'm just like, yeah, I know it's a joke, relax. But anyways, <laughs> so I think the point that I was trying to make there though, is Kerfoot's been showing that he's a guy that you can put anywhere in the lineup and he's, he's able to produce. I mean, I, I think, he's got the versatility of being able to play on the wing and being able to play center. And I think in recent games, especially we've seen that he's far more comfortable when he's on the wing and, you know, he played that role in Colorado too. If ever Nathan McKinnon went down with injury or anybody in that top six, Kerfoot would be the guy subbing in on the top line or in the top six. Um, I think that's just the role that he's gotten accustomed to. So um, yeah, I obviously, I don't actually believe that, you know, he's produced more, 
than Mitch Marner has. I think Mitch Marner's probably gotten more than three points on Matthew's wing this year. I had a couple people calling me Skip Bayless for that twin for that take. <laughs> I'm crossing a fine line. I can't stand Skip Bayless, so I'm not going to wear that as a badge (laughs) of honor. Obviously, I know it was a little bit of it was a little bit of a stretch of a take, but um, yeah, you know he's he's very much won me over this year, and I think uh, I think he's a guy that could play a huge role for them in the playoffs if he keeps keep this up. We saw him do it last year. I think this year he's only gotten better. Peter, it's it's again, an interesting situation because you want to talk about contracts and if the Leafs are going to move them, they're going to have to do it this year because next, next year he does have a modified no trade clause, Mm -hmm. which, which will come into play. Um, But again, I mean, this is a guy who right now, you know, Alex mentioned it eight points in his last three games. Uh, He's on pace for a career year. Like he would blow his 40. He had 43 points as a rookie in 2017, 18. He would blow that up blow that out of the water and put up 59 points if he continues the pace that he's on. Um, and again, last game averaged or sorry, last game played over 21 minutes. Uh, he, he's earning a spot in the top six. He's, he's on the power play. He plays a gritty game for a small guy. I mean, is this a guy that the Leafs need to hold on to next season, even with the contract that he's at 3.5 million? That's a lot of money. Um, but you know, he, he's kind of living up to it at this point. Yeah. And that all, and that all depends on who they move to. I mean, during the expansion draft, they, it wasn't so much that they wanted to protect Kerfoot. I think it was more of them wanting to hang on to Justin Hall and lo and behold, that turned out to be a mistake because if they did expose Kerfoot or held on to him and traded him, Jared McCann would have been a viable option to replace him. Probably better output production, power play. And uh, I believe he was going to be an RFA. They would have retention of his rights and hold uh, the option to make a new contract uh, for next season. If I'm not mistaken, yes, he's going to be an RFA. So, but right now, I mean, I, again, I, I was always kind of like Alex. I was always on the trade Kerfoot, not because of his consistency in play, but because of the contract mostly. And, even so, right now with the modified no trade clause kicking in next year, depending on what happens with the contract of Jack Campbell and if they're able to keep Kerfoot, keep Kerfoot. I mean, there's no other way around it. This guy has been an impactful player right now. Um, it's showing on the stat sheets. He's driving possession. He's getting in on the four check. And he's doing everything that they wanted and more right now. And it's it's kind of hard not to give him give credit where credit's due because he absolutely deserves it. And if they need to hang on to him because he apparently it's uh, uh, he's supposed to submit a ten team no trade list. So there's going to be twenty teams that he could be traded to. Think so Buffalo's not, on it? I <laughs> don't know. I don't think he would want to go play in Buffalo, but I I, I think Buffalo makes that no trade list. Um, but even so, it's not all doom and gloom because if it was like a list of 20 teams where or a 10-team trade list, then that's going to be more of an issue. But, but because it's a 10-team no trade list, they have options. They have more teams that they can work with um, in the event that they do move on from him. Even if contracts get ugly, they still have an opportunity to move him to anywhere they want. So... I mean, I, again, I always say it's interesting how everything is going to unfold, but this is 
very interesting. Either you keep them because you're seeing everything pay off and him being in that top six, even with uh, Tavares and Nylander when, when everyone's healthy, they're absolutely dominating every single time that they're out there. So why not keep them on if everything's going well and the contract situation does work out and you do move Hall and you do move Richie and you do move Engvall before moving Kerfoot. That's going to be very key. If you could move those depth contracts out more than Kerfoot, because he's now a top six player for them. You don't want to lose that. Yeah. I mean, I think Alex, you know, you, you said it last year in the playoffs, he was a force. Uh, him and Nylander seemed to be the guys that were getting it done in the seven game series against Montreal. Um, and it's just kind of carried over to this season and whatever Kerfoot's doing, he's doing it well. And he stepped into that top six role. He's playing, he's playing with some, some key players and he's, he's putting up the points and that the production is the biggest thing. Uh, you know, the, the grittiness was always there. It, the consistency may not have always been there, but he's playing a more consistent game. He's playing offensively. Uh, he's, he's chipping in wherever he can and he's, he's getting opportunities. And, and that's the biggest thing. I mean, this is a guy who's obviously fed off opportunities and now you're talking about the potential of a career year. And I said it with Mikheyev, 55 to 60 points. You're talking about a three and a half million dollar guy. And right now he's playing like a three and a half million dollar guy. So um, it'll, it'll be interesting. Like the Leafs, the Leafs might be one of the more interesting cap situations in the entire league, uh, especially moving forward. I mean, there's you there's, ask the Toronto media, they'll always tell you the least of the most interesting cap related team in the league, especially, especially the way they find ways to finagle through. I mean, any, any sort of like hurdle that's thrown at them, they find a way to get it done, whether it's signing a collegiate goalie, you know, we had him on the podcast um, or, or, you know, sending somebody to the taxi squad or telling Jason Spetz he's going on waivers just to let him announce, you know, the possibility of retirement if he's going anywhere else. I mean, they find a way to get it done. And that's, you know, it's, it's the Toronto Maple Leafs, right? Like that's, that's the, the Mecca of the NHL right now. So Brandon Pridham really is their guardian angel, isn't he? Honest, honestly, like, like throw some wings on that guy and, and, and fire a halo over top of his head because I think uh, I think he's he's the only thing that's protecting this team from from like exceed becoming the New York Yankees of the NHL. Oh man, <laughs> um, you know the guy who does those drawings. I can't remember which newspaper he does it for. It starts with a P. Pen Pen Pengalik or Pengaling? You know who I'm talking about, right? Pengaling. Is it the Sun? Does he do it? It for might the sun? be the Sun. I, I, it might be the Sun. I can't remember which newspaper it is, but he does the he does the drawings in the paper. He needs to do one of Brandon Pridham standing over Dubas's shoulder with a halo and a set of wings on his back. Yeah. yeah. So if you're listening, Mister Mister Pangalink, I'm, I'm I have no idea how to pronounce that name. I think I Pengali definitely butchered it. Five. Inc. Pengali Inc. Yeah. Okay, well, I'm sorry I butchered your name so many times in a row, but if you're listening, if you're listening, please do this drawing, and we'll have you on the pod to talk about it. Uh, I promise I I'll learn how to pronounce your name correctly. Yeah, we'll have we'll have you pronounce it in the first 50 seconds of the episode, so none of us are sitting here giggling. Uh, but I'm anyway. probably gonna giggle anyways. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably giggle too. <laughs> I'm a giggly guy, but anyways, um. Guys, one of the biggest contracts we, we're going to talk about all season long. I mean, Jack Campbell, um, we talked about his game against Colorado. We've talked about his game all season long. 
I, I, I just released a, uh, a Vesna power rankings and got crucified for having Igor Shosturkin at number eight. So, um, Ooh, yeah, but you I, don't, you got to fix that. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm not going to fix it. I'm not going to fix it because I think there's based on numbers, he does lead in certain categories, but based on numbers and games played to me, he's not your top three. I don't think Igor Shosturkin's in your top three, but Jack Campbell, I had him at number one. And not just because I, I am a Leaf fan, but because Jack Campbell, based on last year and this year, deserves to be recognized for what he's done for this team. After, obviously, Frederick Anderson left, um, this team had no goaltending. A lot of questions surrounded Jack Campbell's ability going into this season. Peter, has Jack Campbell exceeded expectations? Uh, do you want the long answer or the short answer? Give us the long answer. Let's hear it. Well, well, I do have the short answer. The short answer is yes, but I'm going to explain why. <laughs> Peter, Peter was expecting you to say short answer there. <laughs> I really was. I was just being like, please say short answer. Um, but, I mean, let's face it. I mean, this is a guy who has the best – out of looking at NHL.com, out of 10 games played minimum – he has the best save percentage at 936. He has the third best goals against average, 1.99. Obviously, Tristan Jerry, Frederick Anderson are just slightly better. And this is a guy who's faced a decent amount of shots. He's not busy like UC Soros or John Gibson, but you know, he's faced 783 shots and he's made 733 saves. And when I was doing the Christmas wish list or things to be early Christmas gifts is the play of Jack Campbell and he had the best goal saved above expected or goal saved above average. And I think he was in like the 16, 15, 16 range. And he was by far ahead of everybody else in that category. He is, he, I mean, nobody's going to want to hear this, but he should be in contention for the Vesna. There's no other way around it. He's leading in every or among the top three in every single category, except for wins where he has 17. But you know what? That's probably going to change soon if when if and when they play more games. And you, you can't deny the fact, and everyone's going to say, "Oh, he's just getting recognition because you know he's a Maple Leaf." When was the last time a Maple Leaf was actually in serious contention for the best? And I believe that was Frederick Anderson. In about 2017-18 or 2018-19, he was in the top 10 for voting, maybe even cracked top five, I think. Um, not 100% sure. But with the way that he's keeping his team in the game, whether it's a blowout win or a win that they shouldn't have had and Jack Campbell's their saving grace and they get to two points, where whether it was a game against Colorado where he makes a fantastic already you know, highlight save of the year candidate. This is a guy that des deserves all the kudos, the recognition and everything in that aspect, because how, how, like, what are you going to say? You just brush it all off. No, this guy is a legitimate starter. And it took him a while to get to re to get to this point, but everyone's saying that the small sample last year with the 17 wins was, you know, all right, let's hold off and wait and see. Well, we waited, we wait, we saw, and we're seeing the results. This is a legitimate starter. This is a guy who deserves 
an increase in his contract. This is a guy who deserves a Vesna trophy. Simple as that. Frederick Anderson was 10th in Vesna voting in 2018-19 when he had 36 wins in 60 games. He was also fourth, fourth in Vesna voting in 2017-18 when he led the league in saves and shots against. Um, but also worth noting that the last time a Maple Leaf goaltender won the Vesna was 1965, Johnny Bauer and Terry Sawchuk. So there you go. Don't tell me that, oh, it's biased because Maple Leafs. Give me a break. Yeah, I mean, the I, I think the greatest part about the whole Jack Campbell situation is the fact, like, the story of where he went and where he's come from. Um, mm-hmm. For him to be the, the high pick that he was, to go through, you know, the Dallas organization, the Los Angeles organization, to end up where he is now. And, and basically, he didn't steal the job from Anderson, but he became the starter based on injury. And really ran with it and he ran with it last year there was conversation about whether he could be a potential Vesna winner last year obviously you know Mark andre Fleury played out of his mind uh and deservedly won that Vesna last season but I mean we're talking about a guy who came into this season expected to you know from a fan standpoint we expect him to do well not maybe as good as he's doing and he's exceeded all expectations. He's second in shutouts. Um, you know, he's top five in wins. He's he's top five in goals against, save percentage. You name it, he's he's right there. Uh, Alex is, is right now. Is he the Vesna guy? And it, it, if so, that Vesna puts a big price tag on a goaltender, especially yeah. up for a new contract. Yeah, Forbes. First, before I get into that point, I just want to make a note. Like you say that. Freddie Anderson, the year that he finished fourth in Vezina voting, um, he led the league in saves and shots against. And it kind of got me thinking, it's been a long time since the Leafs have had a proper, like, goalie tandem, hey? Like, it, it would have had to have been Bernier and Reimer back in, like, 2013 and 14, and that wasn't a good tandem. So, um, yeah, you know what? Toronto goalies have just had such an absolute workload in recent years. And... Um, Jack Campbell's a perfect example of that. And you're right. It is going to be tough to afford him. And I think at this point, you know, if Campbell plays this way all season and if the Leafs make the playoffs and do something and by do something, I mean, at the very least make it to the second round and Jack Campbell is an instrumental part of it. You know, I I think the only thing Leaf fans are really going to be able to cling on to hope for is that he, he takes some sort of discount because, you know, the fact that he's been able to, he came to Toronto as a backup goalie. It was really supposed to be a backup to Freddie Anderson. And like you said, didn't really steal the job from Freddie, but when the opportunity came for him to get some more starts, he ran with it to the point where Freddie sort of lost his job by default. Um, it's, you know, he, he, he's, he went from giving him a reliable backup option to stepping in and doing the bare minimum to just doing everything above expected. And at this point, I, I don't know how the Leafs could possibly ask for any more out of Jack Campbell than what he's already done. Even in the games when he doesn't, he lets in a lot of goals. It seems that he's giving him a chance to win. And um, it is going to be tough to afford him. And I think, you know, like I said, the Leafs are just hoping and their fans are clinging onto that, that little shred of hope that he's going to take a discount to stick around because of the warm reception he's had. I, you, you, I mean, obviously you'd have to imagine Toronto is the best place that he's played in his entire career. He probably feels at home here. He's not getting the soup chance anywhere else. That's for sure. Unless it's from fans on the road. So um, 
I think that I think at this point they just got to be hoping that he can take a discount like that because realistically he has all the leverage in the world right now and he could if he finishes the sorry I shouldn't say right now I'll say if he finishes the season strong and plays consistently the way he is right until the end then he'll have all the leverage in the world and uh, it's going to be tough for the Maple Leafs to afford him um, but you know if you can nail him down and sort of like I, I tweeted today because it was his birthday. Um, I was like, that's great. Now lock him up for, well, I think I said like five years at 6 million or something like that. I'd do that for Campbell. So mm-hmm. um, it's, uh, yeah, I, I think as long as he doesn't go out there demanding a Sergei Bobrovsky contract, I think, yeah, I think you leaves just got to hope that there's some little part of Jack Campbell that wants to stick in Toronto and wants to, wants to take whatever the money, whatever money that he can to uh, make it convenient for them. Obviously maybe not directly convenient for them, but you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, he's a well-liked guy, not only in the city, but in the dressing room. Uh, He's genuinely probably one of the greatest guys to ever step in front of a mic when it comes to, you know, speaking to the media after. He takes responsibility for every goal that he lets in, even if it's not his fault. Um, You know, he's, he's truly one of those people that you need around your franchise. He's one of those people that you want, you know, your young, your young guys to come up with. And, I, I agree with you. I think at this point in time, you, if you have the decision to make, you, you're moving a contract and you're not signing McKayev so that you can sign a guy like Jack Campbell because he, I'll go as far as saying that he does have, he has everything in, in his hands right now. He is the power. At this point in time, the Leafs don't have a starting goalie next season if Jack Campbell's not there. Peter Mrazek's not the guy. Um, you know, we, we talk about Eric Schalgren. He's not, he's not an NHL starter at this point. Joseph Wall, we've seen what he can do. He's not an NHL starter at this point. The Leafs don't have a starting goaltender. So Jack Campbell at this point in time does hold all the cards. He can ask for 6 million and the Leafs are going to have to find a way to either sign him or sign a starting goaltender for under, under 6 million. Um, and that being said, I want to touch on your point of, of the last time they had a legitimate tandem. Um, I would go f- as far back as 2010, 2011, when the Leafs had uh, Jean-Sebastien Giguere and James Reimer as their tandem. Uh, and even was, then, was Reimer in the tandem that year? Or was that Jonas Gustafsson? It was Jonas Gustafsson. Jonas Gustafsson played uh, 23 games. Reimer played 37. Giguere right. played 33. So Reimer actually was... I mean, you, you'd call him your 1A, I guess, at that point. But regardless, I mean, even then, I wouldn't say that was a legitimate tandem. No. Um, based on this year's stats, yeah, of course, Reimer's having a hell of a year. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, goaltending has been the least biggest problem over the last, you know, 15 years. Mm-hmm. Uh, aside from, you know, Campbell coming out and, and playing, you know, lights out, Anderson, you know, had his ups and downs in Toronto. Um, but you know, I think Campbell has been the best goalie we've seen in probably 15 to 15 to 17 years. Right. Uh, before we move on from this topic, I just want to bring up a tweet that I saw regarding this that I, it, it, it gets you thinking, I'll tell you, it's a, it's a pretty hot take it comes from my buddy, uh, Quinn, his, his, his Twitter at is uh, at KWN storm. Um, and he tweets, Jack Campbell has been sensational for the Leafs ever since he got here. That is arguably Dubas's best move yet as a GM, and that's including the John Tavares signing. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. It's, that, uh, it I gets mean, you thinking. It, it really it does. does. It really does and, because at the end of the day, John Tavares is playing, you know, second line center. Um, 
he's having a great season. Yeah. He's he's been no he's disrespect been, to Johnny there. No, absolutely not, absolutely not. But at the end of the day, you're not going to win a championship with a second line center. And at this point, you need a goaltender. And 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 Campbell stepped into that role and he's ran with it. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's that's a very interesting tweet. Very interesting. Going to be really difficult to replace him if they don't sign him because. Looking at the potential free agent goaltenders, you have a 37-year-old Marc-Andre Fleury. Does he have games left in him? Most likely, but, you know, do they try and sign him? Is Jack Campbell better than Mikko Koskinen, Darcy Kemper, Jonas Corposalo? At this point, hell yeah. I mean, aside from Marc-Andre Fleury, there's no other goaltender on the market that I would sign other than Jack Campbell and or, and or Fleury. So take your pick, sign the best goaltender available, and that's most likely going to be Campbell because we don't know what Marc-Andre Fleury's future is going to yeah. be. So better get on that as soon as possible. There are definitely moves happening in, in the least future, whether whether it's that contract with Campbell or or Mikheyev or moving Kerfoot, which, you know, I, I'm kind of leaning towards not moving him. But, you know, it's it's always – we get to the new year and it's always trade talk. It's it's draft talk and trade talk. And, and, and Peter, last last year you had a great uh, great article come out with Darcy Kemper, Darcy Kemper as, as a possibility for the Leafs. Obviously, they didn't go that route. Mm-hmm. Um, but over at the Hockey Writers, Shane Sandy came out with a, a, a great piece about Miro Heiskanen as a possibility for the for the John Klingberg. Sorry, John, John Klingberg. 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 That's right. Yeah, I would like Miro imagine Heiskanen. if it was Heiskanen. Though, you know oh what? my lord, I would be all over it's that. Crazy. I would love that. Our <laughs> listeners don't see this, but I saw I saw Alex's face when I when I said that, and it popped up, and it was like, you know, I said something wrong here. I said something wrong. <laughs> so sorry, John Klingberg. He had a great piece on the possibility of the Leafs acquiring John Klingberg. And so many times we've talked about how the Leafs need to find, you know, that extra defensive piece in the top four. Peter, if we're talking early trade targets, who's who's on your list as a as a possibility for this Toronto team to put them over the edge? Well, I'm I, I, John Klingberg is a really good option. Um, it's just given the fact that he's all offense, I think it could balance well with Jake Muzzin, be that right-handed mobile shooting defender. Um, I, I, I would te- I would try to go more of the route of trying to find a two-way D-man. Um, Nothing against Klingberg. It's just the way that I like it. I think you want more stability because you already have someone in Morgan Riley and you have someone in Rasmus Sandin. I, I, I've gone to him before and I'm going to say him again. I'm going to say Colin Miller from the Buffalo Sabres. Um, and not just because he is a former Sioux Greyhound, but he, he's been on the Maple Leafs radar or there's been talks or rumors that maybe they could look to acquire him because of his two-way ability, because of his puck movement because he is a right-handed shot and we all know what we've seen with Justin Hall so far this year. It's just not cutting out. You have that more responsible game that he's able to handle those tough situations, getting out of the corners, getting out of sustained pressure, being more confident with his decision-making. I think that's going to be a factor going forward and he's having a pretty good season with the Sabres so far. Um, 
may not show it, but the Buffalo Sabres have been in games. They've had been, you know, hovering around and staying in there. And Colin, Colin Miller has been a big part of that. I think he's the name that they should look to inquire. And 3.8 for the remaining part of the season, he's going to be a free agent. Why not take that challenge? Not that challenge, that chance. Yeah, I mean, Colin Miller's a guy that I kind of had my eye on since like his days in Boston as well. I mean, he was another guy who was tall, you know, big, big body, willing to willing to play like that physical game in their own end. But um, yeah, I mean, and I think I think it's a great opportunity too because he's a guy that you could possibly pry away from the the Sabers for a little bit of a cheaper price. And I think that's what the Leafs need to look for right now is they need to look for opportunities to pry guys away for a cheaper price. Um, but Alex, any any early trade targets that you've got your eye on? You know, just okay. I'm only going to bring up this name because you know Peter presented. You know, we also we sort of presented John Klingberg from the start, and then Peter brought up Colin Miller. So just so we have three different names here, I'm going to bring this guy up. And it's just because I saw it in uh, Elliot Friedman's latest 32 Thoughts piece. He said that he believes the Leafs would be willing to put together a trade package for Tomas Hurdle from San Jose. Wow. And, I, you know, I, I, I agree with you guys. I'd rather trade for a top four defenseman before I would rather trade for a forward like uh, Tomas Hurdle. But my God, man <laughs> – Imagine the damage that he could do in that top six. Oh, my God. And it, it makes me worried because I believe, if I'm not mistaken, Hurdle is a UFA after this season. And we saw what the Leafs gave up last year for Nick Felino and how it didn't work out. Hurdle is in a completely different dimension compared to Nick Felino. So, you mm-hmm. know, if they're going to make – if they're going to put together a trade package for him, it's going to be pricey. Having said that, I think with Hurdle, you've got a guy who dominates in just about every aspect of the game. He's a solid defensive forward. He's got, I believe, 32 points in 35 games this year. He had a hat trick the other night. He's just dynamic in so many ways. And I've, I, I don't know. I've been a big fan of Hurdle pretty much ever since he was drafted. So I'm, I, that's one of those things where I, I don't want to imagine – what the price would be. And I don't want to imagine how the Leafs would make the salary work. I don't want to imagine how any of the logistics would work to make that trade happen because it's for, it's a job for somebody that's a lot smarter than I am. But if it were to happen, I can't say I'd be, I, I can't say I wouldn't be completely shitting my pants with excitement. Like, don't, wow. Man, I don't know. Just, just bringing that up because I saw that in Friedman's latest uh, 32 thoughts article. So I mean, a hell of a name, and he's a guy that obviously has there's there's been talk about getting him out of San Jose. He's a guy that maybe has wanted out of San Jose. Now, I I did read a, an article today about uh, you know how now that Kane's gone, it's Hurdle's team, and um, you know the possibility that they can kind of lock him down and and you know kind of change his mind in terms of staying in San Jose, but. It it is an interesting name, and I wonder how much the Leafs learned from their Felino, the the route they took with Felino in in sending a, a first round pick in, in moving assets to get a guy that was, you know, a legitimate rental. And at this point, I wonder if 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 they're going to go that route with Hurdle, you'd have to think that they'd find a way to to make it almost like a sign and trade where they 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 get a deal done prior to bring him over or, or shortly after to make sure that this isn't, 
you know, they're not giving up the assets that they're going to have to give up to prime away and, and only get, you know, maybe 20 games out of them if they go, you know, beyond the first round. But I mean, that's a hell of a name to throw out there and, and Friedman's Friedman's tied into everything. So, you know, you know, it's not coming out of nowhere. Yeah. And you know what, like, I, I was kind of thinking about that too. Like the Leafs, I'd have to imagine they've learned a lesson in a sense with that with that Felino trade because at the time, and you know what, I will stand by the fact that I think that trade was a good one to make at the time because you had to. You, had to. you know, you mm-hmm. obviously, yeah, you had to, and you see Tampa Bay trading a first round pick for a guy like Barclay Goudreau, and I truthfully think that's what Dubas was trying to accomplish by trading for Felino. You're getting a guy who is solid defensively, can play all three forward positions, and he's a great veteran. He's the guy that he pretty much manhandled them out of the bubble in 2020. So, mm-hmm. you know, he's the exact type of guy you want to bring into the dressing room. And it, it, it looked great right off the hop, but then he just couldn't stay healthy. So, obviously, that trade looks horrible now, but back then I still think it was the right move to make at the time. Having said that, I still think that's something Dubas wants to avoid this year. And it's hard to say what direction he'll go in towards the trade deadline because on one hand, you can have him go out there and make a big move. And, you know, we were talking earlier, Forbes, about how the Leafs are still one or two pieces away from being a true cup contender. And, you know, the best way to not have to worry about, you know, the Jack Campbell negotiations or the Ilya McKayev negotiations or whatever, re-signing any of these guys, the best way to not have to worry about any of that is by winning a Stanley Cup this year. Because if you win the Cup this year, everything else kind of becomes a moot point. It's like, okay, you can regress next year and the fans will still be kind of on the high of the Cup from the year before. Mm -hmm. So on one hand, they could shell out a massive price and trade for a big-name guy like a John Klingberg or a Tomas Hurdle or something like that. Or on the other hand, maybe they just want to keep it kind of low key and maybe just trade for a guy like Colin Miller to stabilize their defensive core. You know, I, I almost sound like I'm talking in circles right here, but at the same time, I just, I'm really am interested to see how Dubas treats this trade deadline, because I think there's a part of him that's like, Hey, um, I, I, my job's going to be on the hot seat if if we don't do anything in the postseason this year. Um, but at the same time, if he makes another big move and gambles away something like a first-round pick or a prospect like a Nick Robertson for a big-name guy and they don't have anything to show for it, that's pretty much just asking to be fired right on the spot. So I am very interested to see how Dubas handles this as we get to the, towards the deadline. If Peter, we, we were to do that trade again with Nick Foligno, obviously right now, hindsight, yeah, it had to be done, but looking back right now, obviously you wouldn't do it if that's what we were going to get after four games, but I would so move a first and a prospect to get Tomas Hurdle. But at the same time, he is a center and right wing and the Maple Leafs do have Marner. They do have Nylander. They do have Kasha. So interesting to see how that can play out as well. Yeah. I mean, (sighs) Like you said, it's it's a big name to throw out there, but at this point in time, we talked to, we talked a little bit, Peter, on uh, Prospects Corner about um, you know the Leafs needing to to hold on to their first round pick this year, and uh, you know to some extent, I agree that you know they need that first round pick, but look, this is a team that you, your first round pick is going to be you know in the bottom ten of the uh, of the first round. And, and based on their pipeline, based on what they do have in the system, based on, you know, Matty Nice, uh, you know, the way that he's playing, uh, Toby Niamela, you know, Ronnie Hern- Hervin, and you, you've got a bunch of players that, you know, th- this pipeline is very promising for the, for the Maple Leafs' future. Um, 
my belief is that you can move this first round pick and still get a, a solid, you know, solid second round pick maybe, you know, and, and some later round picks if, if you do things right and still move that first round pick. So the possibility of getting a guy like Klingberg or a guy like hurdle is, is there, it, it's mm-hmm. just, a, you know, it's cap management. Again, we talk about the cap so much here. It, it's cap management. It's finding a way to fit him in and finding a way that knowing damn well that, you know, Jack Campbell is going to need to sign at the end of the year. You have to find a way to move a guy like, you know, maybe Kerfoot's part of that deal. Maybe, maybe Justin Hall is part of that deal. Um, you know, you move a Nick Robertson, you move a first round pick, you know, there, there are certainly possibilities there. And, and Alex, you said you're talking in circles and, you know, throwing that name out there, you've got my mind just going right now because I put myself in that armchair GM situation and I'm like, man, what would I give up for Thomas Hurdle? What would I give up? I, I mean, the, the, yeah. the opportunities are endless, but um, it, it will certainly be interesting to see what Dubis does this year. Everyone thought it was, it was their year last year. I mean, hell, Amazon thought it was their year last year. And they had to rewrite the ending to their, their documentary. But um, oh, I mean, at the end of the day, it'll, it, a big move will, will really shake this team. And you wonder how much you want to kind of toy with the chemistry that's been built there because you do have, a, you do have one of the top third lines in the league right now. Um, is it worth blowing that up to, to, to bring in a guy like hurdle? I mean, I, I, I don't know, but, uh, you know, we talked a little bit about Matty Nye's, uh, the way that he's played this year, the Olympics, obviously we won't get too crazy into it. Um, as, as we're trying to be a little bit more leaf centric here at sticks in the six, but, um, Matty Nye's the possibility that he plays for team USA at the Olympics, Josh Hosang on the short list for team Canada, um, you know, Toronto's got to be blown up with the, the, the knowledge that they, their prospects, their, their players in their system are, are, you know, given a, a great opportunity here in, in potentially playing in Beijing 2022. Peter, your thoughts on Josh Hosang, your thoughts on Matty Nye's getting the opportunities. Given the fact that the NHLers are going, um, fantastic opportunity i mean this is a chance for you know they wouldn't necessarily get this opportunity had the nhl players were going i mean we expected a mcdavid matthews matchup instead we may get to see another player with the name of matthew um and eyes be a major force for team usa and we see how well he's progressed and Honestly, the way that he's playing at the NCAA, he's making it look like a cakewalk. He's just making things look way too easy, and he's a freshman. So I'm hoping that at some point that if he continues his strong year and he excels at the Olympics, Dubas has taken note that, hey, maybe we should probably sign this guy to an ELC, sign that contract right now because he's having an impressive season this year and you know with Josh Hosang given his you know kind of redemption story with uh, the New York Islanders not giving him a fair opportunity coming over here making the game fun again for himself being an Olympian 
I mean, I don't think he expected that. I don't think many of us expected that. But given how well he's played for the Marlies this season, he full wholeheartedly deserves the opportunity to go and represent Canada and represent the Maple Leaf on his chest. Um, really excited for both of them as they have this opportunity. And I, I, I really can't wait because they really deserve it. Yeah, I mean, 10 goals in 23 games for Josh Hosang. Uh, Maddie Nye's uh, just tearing up the NCAA as you said, 13 points in the last 10 games. Uh, I mean, the future is bright for Toronto. And, and I mentioned that in our last little talking point there, Alex, the, the future is bright. Um, you know, what, what are your thoughts on, on the, on the Olympics, not having the NHL players and the opportunities for guys like nice and like Hosang? You know, I think it's just one of those things where you got to look at it with a half, uh, half with a glass half full approach. I screwed up my words there, but you got to look at it as an optimist. And I think, you know, I think while the NHL players not going to the Olympics, it is kind of sad to think that, you know, guys like Sidney Crosby and uh, Patrice Bergeron, guys like that, this might be their last chance at an Olympics and they're getting it taken away from them. It does really suck in that sense. But at the same time, in what other dimension would Josh Hosang and Matthew Nyes be able to represent their countries at the Olympics at the, at this stage of their careers? So I think as long as you look at it that way, it's pretty special. And I, you know, it's not going to be as exciting, obviously, without NHL players, but I'm going to be tuning in to the Olympics and I'm going to be tuning in and watching the hockey games when the games are on, because there are some exciting storylines to be seen there. And, um, I think Hosang and Nyes are going to make them, they're going to make the games a little more exciting from a Leaf fans perspective. So obviously a huge opportunity for Nyes and it's especially cool. We talked about it on the lounge this morning, Peter, about how John Morosi was saying that if they did a redraft right now, Matthew Nyes would probably go in between 10th and 15th overall. And, you know, that's like I said this morning, that's obviously one man's opinion, but it sheds light on what the least were able to get in the second round there. And if you, they can see him at the Olympics, I think that'd be huge for his development. It'd be a great experience for him. Yeah. It kind of goes along with why I, I said, you know, even this year I'd be willing to give up my first round pick because I think the, the, the scouting that Toronto has in place right now is, is doing such a phenomenal job with, with finding guys like Matty Nyes in the second round. Um, you know, I, me personally, I think it was a steal. Um, you know, obviously we'll see how that plays out, but, um, yeah, I mean, I I hate to say it because I love seeing best on best. I mean, I covered the world cup for, uh, for the hockey writers a few years back in Toronto and it was, it was so phenomenal to watch these guys play, get an opportunity to see Sidney Crosby in a, in a post game press conference. I mean, it's, it's, you know, it's, it's a dream come true for a guy like me, but there, there, there's a small part of me that looks at the Olympics and I love the fact that it's amateur. I, I, I shouldn't say amateur, but professional amateurs that are playing the game. Um, you know, we talk about the women's game so much and how, you know, right now they're getting shit on by the double, double IHF in terms of getting their, their under 18 tournament going um, for them to play in the Olympics. It, when they win gold, it, it's something else. Um you know, obviously it's the same for the, for NHL players, but to, to get a team made up of like little pieces from the NCAA, from, you know, the WHL, this, the, the OHL and seeing you know, seeing guys come from all different leagues to be, to be able to play for, for your country. I mean, it, it's such a phenomenal opportunity for these guys. 
I'm I'm sure it's all going to be tuning in. I I want to see guys like Nyes get get the opportunity to play for the U.S. I want to see guys like Ho Sang who you know is on this redemption tour that just seems to keep you know pump his tires because this guy's doing incredible work. Um, and and like I said earlier in the show, he's 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 finding a way to love the game again. And I think that that was the biggest piece for him. He went he went to Europe not knowing what his future held in this game, and he's coming back and finding you know. I'll, hell, we'll go back to the the quote. I'll I'll sharpen skates for the for the Leafs if they want me to do that, and that's that's the mentality of a guy that you want on your team. And I think you know if, if he does in fact get to to don the Maple Leaf, uh, I think it's going to be a fantastic opportunity for him. I'm excited. I'm excited for the mm-hmm. the Olympics. I I want to see these guys play. I want to see guys that you know you don't hear from anymore. Daniel Winnick. I mean, is a possibility for Team Canada. Seriously, that's, that's, <laughs> that's hilarious. I didn't know that. <laughs> you, you know what I mean? Like he's on the short list for, and here's a guy who was brought in by the Leafs, traded twice, and and now he's got the opportunity to possibly play for a gold medal. Um, that's awesome. That is pretty you know, cool. That that's crazy shit. Like you don't you don't get to talk about that all the time, and 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 it's an opportunity for these guys to to really showcase, you know what the, what they've done for, for their entire careers. They've, they've traveled to Europe. They've played in the KHL. They played in Switzerland. They played, you know, and now they get an opportunity to play for Canada. And, and, you know, that's, that's what makes it so meaningful for these guys. But um, yeah, I, I think it's a, go ahead. No, 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 sorry. Go ahead. You can finish here. I was just going to say for them to get that opportunity, you know, I'm excited to see what they do. Mm Mm-hmm. I was yeah. just going to bring up, bring up one more Josh Hosang quote before we move on from this topic. I mentioned at the top of the show that I produced the uh, Niagara Sports Report for 610. It's one of the shows that I did, I've been doing for the past 10 months or so. And uh, obviously with, Ni- with uh, Josh Hosang being a former Niagara Ice Dog, he had the local connection down there. And uh, he, he called into the show and the host, Rod Mahood, asked him, um, do you still feel like you're a misunderstood? Because he's been, he's been kind of tied to that that adjective quite a bit misunderstood and he answered with not by Toronto and I think that really speaks volumes about how the Leafs have been treating him and where how they sort of want it they've got this game plan for him to really set him up for success yeah I mean it, it, it it's crazy because it, you, when you have employees and, and technically that's what these guys are they're employees you want to set them up for success and and what Toronto is doing with him right now you know, we're sitting here calling for him to be called up sometimes to the, to, you know, to the show. And I think Toronto is trying to play it in in a way that they want to, they want to allow him to, to find that success again at the HL, AHL level before they bring him to that next level. And, and I think it's there. I think the, the opportunity is going to be there. I think Kyle Dubas believes in, in bringing Josh Hosang into the big picture at some point. And that, that's the reason why he signed him. He brought him in because he believed in what he's doing. And, you know, I, I, like I said, I'm excited to see what comes from this because I think it's, you know, the opportunities are going to be there. Um, And he's obviously, he's obviously willing to do whatever it takes to, to, you know, be at his best. And yeah, it's going to be, it's going to be fun to watch. So, um, you know, talking about international hockey though, Peter, you were you were our head at the hockey writers for you know prospects, the World Juniors, and the Double IHF decided to come in and just you know shit all over your parade and and cancel the World Juniors. So, um, you know we got a little bit of coverage out there. 
yeah. but it, it was cut short and and I kind of want to just get your take on on you know what we did see the the possibility that we could see the world juniors in June or July and uh you know what what we should take away from the from the little bit that we did see at the world juniors well, the right decision had to be made. I mean, let's not kid ourselves with this new variant, how highly transmissible it was, and it got into the tournament, how the IHF didn't take the necessary precautions and protocol to keep everybody safe, and the hotel they were at, um, it wasn't close to the public. Um there was a wedding involved at the hotel and fans were being in close contact or players are being in close contact with, you know, people from the outside and you saw a lot of positive cases. You didn't see massive outbreaks of one, two, three, or four or other players getting tested positive. It was only in the round, round one to two, but at the same time, it could have led to something worse. What happens if the full team gets it and yeah, have to forfeit more games. It's not going to be a fair tournament anymore. So the fact that they cancel or postponed it for the time being, the fact that they're looking at a possible date and I believe all the rosters or the players that are eligible will be intact. So every roster is going to be the same. I hope my hope is that when they, when the games do resume, everyone that's been forfeited at this point, they replay and get a fair chance because it just doesn't seem fair to still, come back, have Team USA lose a game one nothing, and they didn't get to play a full 60 minutes or any other team. I just hope that whatever games that were forfeited, go back, play, make sure they all have a fair chance and you get the balance in the standings. Um, that, I, again, we all want to get back to some sort of normalcy, and that was one of the things that I wrote in my takeaways, you know, with fans being in the stadium, there was that glimmer of hope the new variant comes up and that put a damper and we have to adapt and change. And it is what it is. We've been doing that for the past two years right now. And I know everybody's sick of it, but let's face it, this pandemic isn't sick of us. It's just going to keep on going until we do the right thing. So that that's where I'm at. It was the right move, big failure on the double IHF for allowing, you know, those type of things to happen in the hotel room and not close anything off to have their bubble because it technically wasn't really a bubble for the teams if they have to deal with their ins and outs of going making their way past you know other people outside of the tournament but you know i I, i'm gonna remain optimistic i hope that we could get back to the tournament and hopefully everything resumes and we complete it Alex, there's a lot of heartache from some of the international players who obviously had to make the sacrifice of getting to this bubble. I'll, I'll put quotes on it, bubble, um, yeah. on December 14th. And then, of course, it's a it's a fucking Red Deer wedding that decided to take down the, uh, <laughs> take down the hotel in Red Deer. Um, you know, your, your thoughts on, you know, the double the IHF and, and their – lack of understanding of what they need to do to get this tournament played. You know, I, 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 I can't really, I won't, I won't really say anything that Peter hasn't already said, or we <laughs> haven't, you haven't read on social media a million times. The, the double IHF is a joke and they, they handled it like jokes. And I think the fact that they, the fact that they let the general public into the hotels where the players were staying, um, 
I think that was the biggest failure of all of them. Like at the very least, you can't keep the players and the coaches and the teams and all the staff working the event. You can't keep them separate from the general public. Like I understand that at this point this year with the vaccines being out and everything, everyone's a little more conf- like comfortable and maybe a little more lenient and stuff like that. But that doesn't mean you can't take the precautions to avoid outbreaks like this happening. Right. It's just, it, it was an absolute abomination of handling. And I love the fact that guys like Simon Lakoski were, were sort of, ripping on them on Instagram and calling them out. And, you know, players were, <laughs> I love that story about the Russian world junior team getting pulled I, off of the plane. I was going to ask kind of any comments on the, the Russian <laughs> that team. That just, uh, I want to party with those guys. No, no, but for, <laughs> for, for real though, it was just, that was hilarious. I think my favorite part of that story was the fact that they tried smoking on planes. Like smoking on planes hasn't been legal since like the eighties. <laughs> like, I haven't been to Russia. I haven't been to Russia before, but is that like, is and that normal? It was the coach. It was the coach. It wasn't the players. The, the players, along with the coach, the coach was sitting at the back, oh, okay. and so he just they, they were all doing it. Okay. and he was kind of leading the leading the charge here. Oh man, my god, that's <laughs> so funny, man. <laughs> I just I, I I don't know. Like I said, I've never been to Russia, so maybe they didn't get the memo of not smoking on planes. Maybe that's something a little more acceptable over there. But I just love the fact that that was. I had a good laugh at that. It was sort of like a funny little silver lining to an otherwise shitty ending to the tournament. But um, yeah, I mean absolute joke the way they handled it i hope that for the players sake they 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 can reschedule the events and uh i hope that the women's u18 u18 team doesn't get left in the dust either i think they deserve the justice of having their tournament played out just like um obviously i i saw a tweet i remember of the host city that was originally supposed to host the women's u18s i can't remember where it was it was somewhere in sweden moshaping maybe but um there was footage on the day that it was canceled and they like, because they, they, they used the COVID excuse um, to cancel the women's U18s yet the city where they were supposed to host the tournaments, they were hosting hockey games that day, SHL games or whatever it was. And there are fans in the stands and everything. So that was obviously a bullshit excuse. Um, and I, I hope that they get the justice and the, the satisfaction of getting to play out a tournament, just like the world junior kids do. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree more with what you guys said. Uh, you know, obviously the, the world juniors being canceled, it was just kind of, uh, you know, a kick to the nuts to, to close out 2021 as was Betty White, uh, dying. It was just kind oh, of like man. the rock bottom of 2021. Uh, and for those who don't know, Bob Saget today, uh, yeah, also God. passed away. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you and know, also, out. also rest in peace, Sydney Poitier. Yeah. Yeah. I mean like legendary actor three weeks, guys, we've had a lot of, uh, a lot of people leave us and, uh, yeah. you know, but, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, at the end of the day, I do hope that the world juniors do get played. I like, like you, Peter, I hope that those postponed games or, or, or rather the, uh, the forfeited games do get played. I think it's only fair. Um, the Russian team. Yeah. I'm with you, Alex. I think we need a party with them at some point. Maybe we, maybe we go to Russia, get, you know, get, get on the gas and, and, and shoot some vodka sticks in the six international. <laughs> Jesus, I you know, I I think I think my wife might leave me, but uh, you know, <laughs> we'll we'll have to talk to her. Shout about out that Mike one. Stevens from Hockey News. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'll I'll, I'll, supp- I'll supply the vodka. How about that? <laughs> there you go. There you go. Make sure it's top shelf. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it at the end of the day, it is what it is. The IIHF, I think, has proven over the over the years that they are 
a, a greedy organization, and that's why we've seen at times the the league not go to the the Olympics. Um, but yeah, I mean, hopefully everything gets figured out, and we we can play it in June or July. I mean, I'm all, I'm all for hockey throughout the summer. Like, let's let's do it. Let's let's get it done. Uh, right. and, and I hope to hell that the women get to play as well because they deserve every little bit of of recognition as well. Um, for those who aren't collecting the uh, Tim Hortons Team Canada cards, get on it. There's fucking women's cards in there. But um, I I think I just got a Renata fast today. So here Beautiful. we go. Here we go. Here we go. Um, you know what's sad? I could not find any NHL cards. I cannot find any of the Team Canada cards. And I'm going to be pretty pissed off at the tins in my area, but man. I got a Sidney uh, Crosby gold medal card. Oh. Sydney Crosby gold medal card, boys. Oh, here's the hope that I can at least the just Timmy's, get the one Timmy's damn truck, pack. Yeah, the Timmy's truck driver that carries all the cards has just been driving right by Peter's neighborhood every time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, no I shit. Just, Peter, I just picture Peter <laughs> chasing the truck down the road like a kid about to miss the ice cream it's truck. Stephen yeah. Ellis, too. Stephen Ellis from the Hockey hockey News. He he was going to, like, I think five or ten different Tim Hortons. He couldn't find cards <laughs> for the life of him as well. So, I thank God it's not just me. Steven, I feel your pain if you're listening. Uh, <laughs> It's okay. He's got his he's got his hand drawn uh, pictures that he uh, throws out oh, there yeah. as well. So, um, boys, before we close this episode out, there is one thing I do want to talk about, and um, I, I got a I got a message from Kyle Guype uh, at uh, at the Hockey Writers, uh, you know, asking me if I'd be willing to write this piece for the Hockey Writers, and, and you know, this is the first time in a long time that I've been asked to actually write a piece. So I was like, yeah, absolutely, let's let's go. And it's on on the Hockey Diversity Alliance, uh, their new campaign, the Tape Out Hate Initiative. Um, the the video dropped yesterday. Uh, I want to we're, we're we're recording Sunday, so Saturday dropped Saturday. A fantastic video, and the the part that I love about it the most is that it it, it really is a slap in the face to anybody who's even questioned the fact that racism still exists in the game. And so, uh, you know, it was quick turnaround, but I, I wrote this piece, um, you know, about not only the, the, the new campaign, but kind of the fact that racism, you know, still obviously exists in today's game um, and kind of touched base with, you know, what exactly, like, where, where, where are we going to go from here? Um, you know, the NHL refused to, to be a part of this ad campaign. Uh, the players that were involved in the campaign couldn't wear NHL licensed gear. So guys like Wayne Simmons couldn't wear the Leaf jerseys. We saw the Leafs retweet, you know, rain, rain, the, the HDA um, uh, post um, and, and kind of shed light a little bit on the fact that this stuff is still going on. Uh, and support Wayne Simmons, support Anthony Duclair, support Matt Dumba, you know, Chris Stewart, you know, Angela James was involved. Sarah Nurse was involved. Nazem Kadri um, was involved. And, and Nazem's Akeem dad, Akeem Alou. Akeem Alou. Um, big shout out to Akeem Alou, um, who, who unfortunately is not playing at the NHL level. I got, a, I got an opportunity to see him play in London. And, and, and man, that guy, that guy had so much skill. And so much to give to the game, and it's a it's it's a fucking shame that we don't get to see him play at the NHL level because of, you know, guys like Bill Peters and 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 guys that don't want to see 
whether it be players of color or or players that come from you know a different sexual orientation or or what have you they don't want to see them succeed in this league and unfortunately we're at that point we're in 2022 now we're having the same discussion we had in 1999 we're having the same discussion we had in 1987 okay um racism exists in the game of hockey hate exists in the game of hockey uh, I, I encourage you to to take part in Black Girl Hockey. Um, you know they have a great a great uh, platform that they they get involved in, in in talking about you know the hate in the game. The HDA like they have some phenomenal sweaters. Like you know go out and buy a sweater and and, and donate to this this great cause because there there are players like Quentin Byfield who are just beginning their careers at the NHL level and they are going to be. Um, they're going to be looked at in a certain light just based on the color of their skin. And, and that's, you know, he, right now he's a top prospect in the game. I mean, Peter, I think you've got the hundred, hundred best prospects coming out. I think he's, he's right there at number one. So he's still going to be there at number one, bit of a spoiler alert, but he's still going to be number one. Yeah. I mean, the fact that the fact that we have a player of color at number one, you know, is telling of, of where this game can go so long as it's inclusive and Mm -hmm. if you haven't watched the video from the hda go and watch it because yeah i'm getting chills talking about it the fact that they use the slurs that are are thrown at these players and alex you you released a great tweet because you 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 mentioned that you uh you produce this indigenous um you know radio show and, and the comments that you get is just oh it's so telling of where we are and we're not where it's infuriating it's infuriating because yeah. we're not where we need to be. We are we are a hundred steps back from where we need to be. And I don't know if either of you guys want to touch on this at all, but the HDA, uh, great organization. Um, the NHL chose not to be a part of that. And it, it's, it saddens me. It really saddens me. It, it disgusts me. And I hope to hell that they they rethink their stance on this because I think this is a perfect opportunity for them to take a step forward from where they were with the whole Kyle Beach situation and know that there's a there's an a a spot for them to make a difference. And that's they need to step up and they need to find a way to partner with the with the HDA and find a way to make a difference. You know, if I can say anything about that video, I think my favorite part about it is that they are not pulling they're not wasting any time pulling any punches when it comes to making people uncomfortable. That's the main thing. And you mentioned the black girl hockey club there, Andrew. I mean, their whole, their whole pledge is called the get uncomfortable pledge. You got to get uncomfortable to solve these issues. You got to have the uncomfortable conversations. And I love that the HDA with that video, they didn't sugarcoat anything. They used actual messages. They, they, they like, they want to make people cringe. The people who try to deny that there's a hot, there's a problem with hockey culture or that there's a problem there are problems within the game, whether it be systemic or just in everyday day-to-day operations. Um, the people who want to deny that are going to want to look away from that video. And that's exactly what the HDA wants to do. I mean, obviously they don't want them looking away from the video, but they want to go after that crowd and make them uncomfortable to the point where we have to talk about it. And I love how they're going out of their way to do it because we're not going to get anywhere if, we, if, if, if all it is is just, you know, cheap talk and performative bullshit. And speaking of performative bullshit, 
perfect example of the NHL just completely missing the mark once again, how they retweeted that video. And they're sorry, they quoted it and they said, great work from our buddies over at Budweiser. No mention of the HDA, just Budweiser. So, you know what, it's just, it's absolutely hilarious to me how the NHL literally isn't even trying to hide that all they care about is their performative bullshit. And profit. And profit, exactly. Like, like, it's funny because, yes, you... You can look at them posting this, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll go into Pride Month and they'll, they'll change their logo to the rainbow scheme and they'll t- send out these tweets saying hockey is for everyone and everybody knows that it's this performative bullshit. But at the, when, when the NHL goes out of their way to share a tweet saying, oh, we support this, this campaign, we support this idea that hockey is for everyone, but they fail to mention the group that put all the effort into it and that have been fighting this good fight for years now – that speaks so many volumes about the NHL. That's all I'm going to say on the topic. I just, I, I saw that tweet and it absolutely, it, it made me laugh, but not in a haha funny way, just like a, what an absolute joke way. Like I, I could, I couldn't believe that. Like, and I know they would have taken some heat as well, even if they did shout out the HDA because they did refuse to work for them. But the fact that they sent that tweet out did not bother to mention the HDA. They just, they, they looked right past the brainchild and they thanked the sponsor. I'm, I'm sorry, but like, you put a little more effort in than that. Like, come on. What of uh, Kimelu's comments about the fact that over a year ago, Budweiser reached out to the NHL and NHLPA and told them about what they wanted to do? Um, Alou noted that the NHL didn't want to work with the HDA. So the fact that they quoted that tweet said Budweiser, not the HDA. The fact that they didn't want to work with them initially, and now they want to come out saying that, oh, we're doing the right thing. No, it's all a cover-up. And you hear, you hear, obviously you can't hear the tone of Alou's, of what Alou is trying to say, but reading the words, you could tell that he's, you know, angry with the situation, angry with the fact that he doesn't have, or the whole HDA doesn't have the support of the league that, you know, supposed is supposed to support them in their endeavors or whatever they're trying to do. And they don't even want them to wear the Jersey of their respective team. Why you, are you afraid that you're going to lose some fans that are basically going to say, Oh, you know what? Don't even bother with this. Just go out and play hockey, stick to sports and everything like that. If you lose like 10 of those fans, or those fans, even if it's more in the thousands, ten thousands, whatever, fine, go. We don't want you here. We want this to be a safe and inclusive space for everybody. Simple as that. And if they are afraid to do that and lose ten thousand fans and possibly gain, you know, a hundred thousand more, then what are we doing? Yeah, like literally, literally, what are we doing? The stick to sports argument from these people always makes me laugh because it, it implies that because these people are talented and their, their, their profession is playing sports for a living, it implies that they don't, they have lesser rights when it comes to voicing their, their opinions on social issues and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Makes me laugh. Like how much, imagine how much you would piss off one of those guys. If you said, Hey, Hey Bob, stick to accounting or <laughs> Hey Rick, stay, stick to roadside work or something like that. Like, don't comment on politics. Don't comment on social issues. Like, imagine how pissed off they would get, right? Yet, they're doing the exact same thing, calling out NHL players. Why? Just because they play hockey and just because they, they make a lot of money, they're not allowed to speak out on these issues. Like, it always, it always makes me laugh when I read comments like that. I'll be honest with you guys. Like, writing this piece, it was one of 
it was probably one of the tougher pieces that I wrote because I, I love, I love controversy. I mean, if you follow me on Twitter, you know, I love controversy. I love, I feed off of that shit, but there was a part of me that looked at it. And I mean, we had Sebastian and Avery on a few weeks back and, yeah. or, or I want to say probably a month and a half ago now, but, and we, we talked about getting uncomfortable and having that conversation. And to me, I didn't feel right writing this piece from, from my perspective, because I don't, I didn't live it. I, I lived, I lived, you know, privileged white hockey player that, you know, grew up in, in, in Oakville, Ontario. I didn't live, you know, uh, from that perspective. And, and I felt like I didn't, wasn't able to give it enough justice um, to, to, to create that conversation. And I, I look at it now and I, and I, I think that, you know, maybe that's, that's what we need because there was a comment in, in the video where, where Wayne Simmons said, you know, there's only a few of us, there's only a handful of us that, and we need the support of those around us. And that's, that's part of that getting uncomfortable is, is, is people that didn't grow up with that same perspective, getting involved in the conversation and growing the conversation. And that's where the NHL and, and Alex, you, you hit it right on the head the NHL had an opportunity here and instead of like even, even tweeting, you know, the HDA, they tweet Budweiser, which is run by white privileged men. And again, it's like, it's like you literally shit all over the whole point of this entire conversation, the conversation. I mean, it was 10 years ago. It was 12 years ago that somebody, some guy in, in London, Ontario decided to throw a banana on the ice while Wayne Simmons was skating down the ice. Um, Nazem Kadri dealing with the, the, the nine 11 comments um, because he was of Muslim descent. It just, it, it, to me, it just does not make sense. It doesn't, I, I, I'll never get it. And, and for, for people like Wayne Simmons to question whether they want to put their daughter in hockey or put their son in hockey because of, you know, the, the, the experiences they had growing up, that's not an inclusive situation. Um, and sport should be sport. You know, the Olympics were created to, to bring together numerous countries. Um, it was about inclusiveness and and we've gotten so far away from that and and i you know i i'm a huge advocate for for this entire campaign for making the game more inclusive because you never know you never know how it's going to affect you whether you're white black green purple yellow you know whatever it doesn't matter um you know, people have to be feel comfortable in their own skin, and people have to feel comfortable in 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 getting to to take advantage of opportunities that exist in front of them. And hockey's one of them. Hockey's an opportunity. Hockey's an opportunity to grow. You know, friendships, grow. You know, social skills, develop as a human being. And and if we take that away from a group of people, it's not, it's not. Uh, you know, we're not being the best people that we can be. And uh, I think the HD is on to something. I think the NHL needs to figure their shit out. And I'm being long winded here in my, in my explanation, go over the hockey writers and check out my article because uh, I, you know, 
it the HDA is on point and Akeem Alou, you know, he's uh he he's the one paying the ultimate price here. It's it's very Colin Kaepernick type bullshit that goes on. Here's a guy who can play the game and he's not he's not playing the game that he should be playing. So I mean, sorry to close out on a on a kind of a rough note there, but that was there, well said. That was there, well said. I appreciate that. There's there's one more kind of leaf note that I'd like to get to, and it was a it was a tweet that I saw earlier in the week, and it, it kind of ties into this whole conversation. Nazem Kadri is today's Wendell Clark, and I want to get your input on this because for me, so Bruce Rick, anybody that has two names, two first names, don't trust them. Don't trust anybody with two first names. Bruce Rick. Shout out Luke James from the hockey right? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no don't, offense, buddy. <laughs> don't trust him. <laughs> but like is Nazem Kadri today's Wendell Clark, Peter? No. But he is one of the better players in today's game to be that agitator in your face and put up a ridiculous amount of numbers. I don't think that, yeah, I mean, Wendell Clark was in his, was in a whole different league right now. Um, I mean, I, well, actually, maybe. I mean, I, I may want to change my answer and maybe say yes because – Actually, I, I don't even know where I, I don't even know where I'm going right now. <laughs> On one hand, he, they both they're both effective at getting under the opponent's skin. Kadri is having more of the advantage because, he, because he's got that more skill set. But Wendell Clark was the epitome of that during the heyday of the early '80s and '90s. He was one of the most feared guys on the ice. Every single time he stepped on, you feared Wendell Clark, and he still put up points. Nazem Kadri still has more of that offensive side right now. I. Okay, I don't want to say yes, no, but you can make an argument for that. Does that make sense? I really yeah, wish you didn't come to me. No, no, it, it completely <laughs> makes sense. Um, I, I guess my thing is like, Nazem Kadri is a guy that plays on the edge, and and, it, and the rules are a little bit different nowadays that it, it's so hard to compare the two. Um, yeah. I was trying think, to go with that. It, it, you want to say yes, but at the same time, no. And you're, it's in that fine line kind of thing. Yeah, I just think that Wendell Clark meant a whole lot more to his team at the time when he played. Um, perfect example is you know why he wore the C. But Alex, do you have any input on this? Um, I, I think whoever's – sorry, the guy that tweeted this was Bruce Rick. Was that his name? Rick Bruce. I believe it was, uh, yeah, Bruce Rick. <laughs> Bruce Rick, okay. So, Mr. Bruce Rick, I have to say, masterful troll job on your part. Because technically, and you know, there are some takes that are like this, where technically when you look at it, there is an argument to be made because in nowhere in the tweet does it say Nazem Kadri is better than Wendell Clark. But the wording of the tweet when you compare the two players and Wendell Clark was such a prominent household name for fans who grew up watching the Leafs in that era um, that if you, if you even put anybody else in the same breath as Wendell Clark, you're going to get a lot of people talking. And a lot of the fans that watched that era of Leafs hockey were in that replies, in those replies, just 
just losing their shit over it. Yeah. And like Peter said, like, you know, there, he is one of the better players in the league at agitating, getting under your skin. Forbes, you make a good point that while there is that, that aspect of the comparison, you know, Kadri didn't mean as much to the Leafs as Wendell Clark did back in the day. But I mean, if you're saying he's today's version of Wendell Clark and you're not directly comparing mm-hmm. the two and comparing the different rules and everything, there, there is an argument to be made, but it's just, I love the way that he worded it because it got people talking. It got people really <laughs> upset. So masterful troll job, Mr. Bruce Rick. So I'm going to quote Bruce Rick here. Nazem Kadri was everything Leaf fans thought Wendell Clark was and better. So. <laughs> I wouldn't I say better. Okay, and better. I didn't know that. I didn't know that part of the tweet. I, thought yeah, I was just saying he's better, today's Wendell right? Clark. I, I, I think it was fair, and they were very equal. I wouldn't say better. Yeah, I mean, look, I'm a huge Clarky fan. You know, the way that he, he stood up for teammates. Uh, I remember, I believe it was Dougie got – Killer got hit, you know, just inside the blue line, got absolutely rocked, and, and Wendell came in and just, you know, was fucking throwing punches, haymakers <laughs> like crazy. It was it was an unbelievable tilt. I forget, I forget the game. I forget, you know – it's before my time. I just watched the reruns. But, um, I mean, look, here's the thing. You're talking about a guy. So, Nazem Kadri, 696 career games, 469 points. You've got a guy in Wendell Clark, 793 career games played, 564 points. So, comparable, sure. We'll, we'll, we'll go with, with comparable. Is he today's Wendell Clark? No. He's today's Nazem Kadri. Nazem Kadri is playing the way that he plays. He plays on the edge. He plays along, you know, a very thin line. Wendell Clark played in a day where you could, you know, you could go after whoever you wanted and, and basically cut their throat with their skate blade if you really wanted to. That was the that was the type of play you saw back when Wendell Clark played. So to even remotely compare the two, I, I think it's wrong to compare the two. I think they play a similar game. And that's yeah. that's where I'll leave it. Mm-hmm. That's what I was trying to get at, and I just couldn't formulate a sentence. That's all right. It's early in the morning. <laughs> it's early in the morning. But um, there you go, boys. I mean, it's been it's been three weeks. We're back. Uh, you know, I I'm I'm fucking excited. Uh, I think mm-hmm. we got a lot of good hockey ahead of us. Uh, we got a lot of a lot of good conversation ahead of us. Yes. Did you guys want to throw anything in there before we close out this episode, Alex? What do you got going on at the Hockey Writers? Um. I'm actually personally, I, I don't have anything too prominent coming up. I just did, like you said, I did my takeaways piece on Colorado. I'm looking to get back into the rhythm of doing that, but I don't really have any big pieces in the works. So if there's anything you might want me to work on, any listeners, let me know and I can uh, give me a tip and I'll, I'll, I'll see what I can do. But as of right now, yeah, I'm not really, uh, I don't really have anything on the agenda. Peter, I know you got a lot going on with draft season just around the corner. Yeah, a lot of prospect stuff, too, coming around the next few weeks. So be on the lookout. It's going to be our mid-season updates of the top 100s, team's top prospects, and the top uh, farm systems. Re-ranked, reworked. Sorry, no Lucas Raymond or Mort Sider or Trevor Zegers because they're in the big show now. They're past that 25-game mark. So, yeah, be on the lookout for that. Yeah, Detroit looks scary, uh, especially in that Atlantic now. But, gentlemen, I got I got a couple pieces in the works here. I got I'm going to work on a piece uh, looking back at the expansion draft, Kerfoot versus McCann. I'm also going to work on a piece on how Tavares is uh, possibly having his best season 
with Islanders fans still heckling him from New York. Uh, but uh, yeah, I mean, a lot of great stuff over at the Hockey Raiders. You guys, you guys always do Maple Leafs Lounge. Um, you know, Peter's on Prospects Corner, so check those out as well on YouTube on the Hockey Raiders YouTube channel. Check all three of us out on the Hockey Raiders. Um, we're happy to be back with Sticks in the Six. Hopefully, we've got a lot of good things coming your way. As always, though, thank you for tuning in to episode 66 of the podcast. You can follow Peter on Twitter at P. Barracchini. You can follow Alex at A. Hobson Media or myself at Andrew G. Forbes. Or you can follow the podcast at six Sticks in the Six and not the one that Ron McLean shouted out the other night on Hockey Night in Canada. But we'll take, we'll take it. We'll take it. I got so excited for that. We got so so excited. We got so excited, but we are S-T-I-X-I-N-T-H-E-6-I-X-P-O-D. Check us out there. Check us out on YouTube. Make sure you hit the subscribe button. Or hell, head over to Spotify, iTunes, wherever you download your podcast, and be sure to download our latest episodes. Tune in, comment. Reach out to us on Twitter because we love your listener comments. We love your listener questions. We'll always touch base with you guys. And we've got some fun stuff going on on the podcast Twitter. Until next week, boys, shout out to Ryan Zeus Fleming for our intro. We'll get back at you for episode 67 of the podcast next week.